0: to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We've had our first round of FAWSL action. We didn't get to see as many Aussies as we maybe thought we would, but that doesn't mean that the football was not excellent. So we're going to take you through the games of the first round. And to do that, it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis. So Let's crack into a tried and tested favourite on the Far Post, some um, you love to see it. So, Angela, would you like to start us off with a you love to see it? Yes. Yes, I'd love to do that. Um, Yeah, my
1: you'll love to see it. Viv opening the account for Arsenal. So scoring a sensational goal. You'll love to see it. The assist came from Katie McCabe. And then, Sam, you actually tweeted about this. Viv went on the zoomies, did a big zoomie, got on the end of the ball, but and scored the goal, but not before, and this is Anna's thing, retiring Jess Carter. So a bit of a nutty there on the way through, but it was just placed so perfectly, just out of reach of Katrine Berger in the bottom left corner. And yeah, everything I said last episode about Viv not getting the golden boot, I take it back. I'm flaky. I'm in the right heads- headspace now. Viv's back. Just going to get the golden boot. Anyway, you love to see it.
0: Is Viv back or are you just back?
1: As you... <laughs> no comments.
0: <laughs> um, also, I feel like we need to do an in memoriam at the end of the season for everyone that was retired due to nutmegs and just, I will remember, like at the back of it. I think it would be really funny. <laughs> Why am I singing on this podcast? It's and terrible.
2: You have to remember, Marissa, the way that you earn redemption from being retired is by retiring someone yourself. So now Jessica has to Meg someone, otherwise she's retired.
0: It's, it's, real it's the only way you come
2: world. back. <laughs> Three times in this ruthless world.
0: It's 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 brutal out here. Anyway, Paro, please, offer up what you love to see it.
2: Apart from Angela's rapid turnaround and Viv made out, um my, my you love to see it. also comes from the Arsenal-Chelsea game, just a belter, so many good goals. Um, I love Peniel header, but my favourite had to be Beth Mead's um, non-offside goal where Meadema picks the ball up in the sort of the centre of the field, rebounds it off a Chelsea player, isn't phased and puts a great ball through. Mead splits the Chelsea centre-backs and then just keeps going, makes them look really, really foolish. And considering it's Magda Eriksson and Millie Bright, two very good centre-backs, it's quite impressive. Cuts um, out to the left and just fucking rifles it. Like nothing Anker could do about it. Just sensational individual goal. And she's just taken off um, and really great celebration. She's a player who missed out on the Olympics as well. So coming from a little way back would have come from that setback and just showed what she could do. An absolute stunner of a goal at a time when Chelsea were the ones that were surging and probably should have taken the lead. Um, yeah fantastic strike and yeah in front of a a crowd it's yeah just fantastic so Bethany turning it on you love to see it
0: absolutely love to see it and
3: Sam what did you love to see my you love to see it. this week comes from the other top draw game that we were all so excited for Everton versus Man City it wasn't a goal even though there were a number of them, four to be exact. It was a pass, and that pass was from Canada International Janine Becky. In the build-up to Man City's first goal scored by Vicky Lasada, uh, the the play itself it sort of it sort of dies and spins back out to to Becky on the left side. She sees in the corner of her eye a run from uh, a teammate from fullback coming in past the line, and she sends this pass that takes out I think about four or five different players in the one turn. And then that pass is pinged back to Lasada, who like also scores a cracking goal. But that, it was the kind of pass where I let out like an audible sound while I was watching it. And then I immediately turned to my timeline and saw that everybody else reacted in the same way. So Janine, Becky... A player who, when you think of Man City, you don't really think of her first, but who is coming off a gold medal with Canada at the Olympics and also went on to score a goal herself and to assist another in this game. This win against Everton, you love to see it. If you were a City fan, you
0: definitely love to see it and love to see that result as a whole. They beat uh, Everton 4-0, Hayley Razo uh, started, got an assist. Alana Kennedy came on a little bit later. But the question I wanted to ask with this one was Was the 4 0 scoreline what you expected from this game? And I'll start with you, Sam. Like, is that what you expected from a Man City Everton game, considering all we had been talking about kind of in the
3: builder? No, it wasn't at all. I I thought it would be a lot closer than what it was. And in fact, I thought Everton might actually get one up over Man City because City were coming into this game off the back of a pretty difficult midweek match in Women's Champions League. They were also down a couple of really significant players, including Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh and a couple of others who had picked up injuries during the Olympics. So they were coming in understaffed. They were coming in quite tired Everton, on the other hand, were coming in real fresh. They were coming in rejuvenated with some of the best signings across the entire WSL. And yet they just, I don't know, maybe it was just a matter of too many new players at once not having enough time to gel with each other. Um, Whereas Man City, I think, made very strategic kinds of decisions in some of their recruitments. For example, Hayley Rasso had an amazing game for Man City, doing what she has always done and fitting really easily into the Man City style as a replacement for Chloe Kelly, who still is returning from a knee injury. So it's not like City had to really change a huge amount by replacing that particular player. Whereas with Everton, I think those kinds of changes um, sort of forced them to, um, to reconsider their whole system and style a little bit more thoroughly than what City did. Um, So, yeah, so I like, if this is the way that City are starting if they're coming into games with basically not their starting eleven, they're coming into it quite tired and fatigued from a midweek game, and these are the kinds of performances that they could put on. I mean, watch out, Chelsea, because this is a serious side now.
2: How good's Bunny Shaw too? Like, you just totally. love watching it. play, and I love the friendship she's got with Raheem Sterling as well. Um, it gets around. Uh, it gets around all of her goals when she signed. Um, I think they were maybe at a game or something together the other day. Like, it's, it's great to see, and you want to see more of that stuff. But just such an exciting player, and it's a credit to City the way that they managed to get those forwards who've just signed to gel. I like what you said, Sam, about Hayley Raza just getting her to play a natural game. Um, obviously, in our preview pod, that she didn't strike me as a traditional City player. She still doesn't strike me as that, but... We might see those different things come into a game, but they just backed her to do what she's good at, and it worked. She was chaotic. She was exciting. Everton would have known exactly what to expect from her, but knowing what to expect and actually stopping it is, you know, another matter whatsoever, and she was composed in terms of that assist. It was a really exciting debut, and I was also really glad to see Alana Kennedy get on the park for a bit late slot straight into center back, which is where she told me last week um, in our chat. She expected to play um, this season. Uh, it's, it's good. She's got some early minutes. Hayley Razo started, made an impact and yeah, city, they, uh, they look scary. And how disappointing for Everton though, like going out, making some statement signings. You've been given, like, I don't think Willie Kirk could say he wasn't given the opportunity to bolster his squad. It's just a, uh, such a flattening way to start the season, especially after they so- showed so much promise last year. You, you know, I'm sure they'll write it off and look to bounce back pretty quickly, but ominous signs from Man City, disappointment from Everton. And sometimes when those two things come together on one day, you end up with a 4 0 scoreline like that. Um, but that's, that's the thing, I think. I can't remember which one of you said it. You're kind of excited to watch City this season. They're playing a more exciting way. Players like Razzo and Shaw just add that extra bit of chaos. It's not so predictable, it's not just looking for Ellen White all the time. And I think once we see Alana Kennedy play more, we'll see more of those passes coming in from centre back as well. And that's going to be really exciting um, to watch as well. So, yeah, bit to take out of that one.
3: I also just realized that I forgot to mention Ellen White when I talked about players who weren't starting for sale. Oh, like, how can I? And I just remember I was like, my wife,
2: how did I forget my wife? You've forgotten it twice <laughs> in, about in the space of a
1: month and a bit, Sam. <laughs> Maybe it's not like, looking good for you. Oh
2: my
0: god. We have to do that
1: meme. The. That guy. <laughs> sorry, what? The meme with the boyfriend. With
0: the b- <laughs> Can we like, make t- it? What would Sam be looking at instead of her Helen, uh, Ellen wife? Bunny Shaw. Empty,
3: empty brain. Empty brain is all I was <laughs> like. <laughs> Literally anyone else. <laughs>
2: So no, just got like Lauren, it's like a three-headed monster or something with like Lauren Hemp and someone else and someone else.
3: I'm sorry, Ellen, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I think I can assure you she's not.
2: <laughs> Especially not after your previous antics, Sam.
0: I think we need to, you know, you need to show her that you care and you should get the Ellen White celebration tattoo. I just think it's the only thing that makes sense.
3: Marissa, now that you've said that, do you realize what you've unleashed? This is one that sent it in the group chat. I am
0: fully totally <laughs> pushing
3: for you to do this.
0: I'm so gonna be get- you into doing this.
2: Sam's gonna tattoo the hands onto her face.
3: <laughs> is <that> what's gonna <laughs> full happen? size, full size hands. Yeah.
2: I speaking of Ellen White, I mentioned before I had a chat with Alana Kennedy and I did ask her, um, are you excited to be playing alongside Ellen White rather than having to worry about her her jumping over you, and she was uh, she was very much excited. to. They said, She said they had a bit of a chat about the last time they came up against each other, but the most important thing was that, she, you know, she got the win. So <laughs> very, I think Alana Kennedy very much looking forward to playing centre-back, lining up alongside the likes of Ellen White, um, Bunny Shaw in training, and maybe not necessarily having to do the hard running to stop those players. So that's an exciting thing, I think, to look forward to for us as well. Something the Fire Post has been calling for for a while.
1: I think on that note, it was actually there was a little piece on the city website interview with Hayley Rasso, and she was like saying that Kira Walsh had given her and Alana Kennedy a bit of shtick for the Team GB Australia matchup, which I thought was quite funny. Wouldn't have expected it from Kira either, out of all the people to potentially <laughs> do that. But anyway, Kira's probably still hearing the ringing of her shot, like clanging off the crossbar. <laughs> Well just speaking on the game Karima Tayeb the keeper was very impressed by her she's I think um not their third keeper but sort of like tying with Karen Bardsley but I don't remember having seen her played before and I thought she did a really good job um but yeah goes back to what Sam was saying this was not a full strength city side so Um, I will be watching them I don't know if like I'm excited but I'll be frowning as well the whole time like you know you know you love to hate them that sort of thing but yeah and was not expecting them like Everton what excuse me oh just let you in mate um was not expecting Everton to lose by that much by no means so I don't know if that just means that Everton yeah we're a bit um, jammy this early on or if it means that City are just going to absolutely beat up everyone else this season. What? Hang on, guys. Is Is
3: is Melan a City supporter, Angela? Is that why this is happening, screaming from the background as you're gently trying to discuss and contextualise Manchester City?
1: You're a supporter of whoever will give the most bickets, which actually would probably be City. Anyway, I need to (laughs) let him out because um, he will only get louder and more annoying. That's not how you hold a cat.
0: (laughs) You've made that joke before, but it's still funny. (laughs) I'll never say Evergreen, Evergreen. Oh, goodness gracious. Just keeps
2: paying off. (laughs) What were you saying? I couldn't hear you. Oh, sorry, Angela. I said he was just like his mother. Louder. Um, and he was only going to get louder and more annoying.
1: Yes, until he gets food. That's yep.
0: I mean, 100%. where's the lie? <laughs> but yeah, it was it was scary to see what City could produce. My entirely like too early call is that. Shaw and Raza were going to strike up some sort of partnership. I think we saw some glimpses of of it. I don't know if it's just like pure chaotic energy and that's making me think there's going to be a connection there, but we will see. The other big game of the weekend was Arsenal-Chelsea. I said that this kind of had title ramifications, even though it's the, the first round of the season, but it does. It's a big deal. It was Arsenal's first win over a fellow top big three side in I think a couple of seasons and it was a magnificent game to watch Arsenal ran out three two winners in the end Harrow what did you make of of this one
2: it was awesome (laughs) like it was such a good game Like in terms of it being in like a, a realistically a prime time slot for us as far as um European football goes, that 9.30pm kickoff is our prime time. Like, we get this little window of delight of games in Europe and the UK being played at a really favourable time. Perfect game for it. Like, literally can't do anything else in Victoria at the moment after 9pm at night. So if you weren't watching this, you missed out. Like, sensational game. I think Arsenal traditionally like to really dominate possession but they took a different tack against Chelsea they let Chelsea have more of the ball and by the time Chelsea had sort of figured that out they're already one nil up the thing that really impressed me was that Chelsea obviously kept coming and at one all, they looked like the team more likely to go on with it but then I mentioned Beth Mead's goal we know there was the contentious offside one not even contentious it was offside and obviously Chelsea hit back but just couldn't find the gas at the end to to make it happen, they just felt like they just kept going and going, but couldn't really make their chances count. But yeah, it was exciting. It it should give Arsenal fans some hope. And boy, do they need it, having seen their men's team play. Like, it should give them some genuine optimism that they can push to be at least back in that top two, if not in the in the title race. They hadn't, like, Chelsea hadn't lost an away game since, since 2017, and Arsenal hadn't beaten Chelsea. Um, at home, I think, even in a long time. So it was a real statement victory. It was one they had to have because we, I think the criticism over Arsenal last season was they would beat up, and it was a legitimate one, they would beat up on teams that were a lot lower than them and score loads of goals against them but then not pull out the results when it mattered. First game of the season, first game in front of a crowd, your home crowd at the Emirates, I think it's about 8,000 people there. And they made the statement. It was fantastic. We mentioned the him a goal, the two Beth Mead ones. Um, both Chelsea goals were fantastic as well. And you could see the way Emma Hayes was shaking her head in that second half when I think one thing didn't go their way. It felt like a day where everything was just a bit off for Chelsea. They didn't throw their big guns in terms of Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby into the mix from the start. They called them off the bench and it all proved a bit too little, too late. Neither of them really got going. But it's a credit to Arsenal. They found a way to get it done. They They dug in. Um, wasn't necessarily always pretty. I know that they love to, as I said earlier, dominate possession, but they found a way to, to get it done. Um, Sam, what did you think of the game?
3: Sometimes you watch a game of football and you have a moment where you pull yourself sort of to the level above the emotions that are sort of flooding across your whole experience and you're just like, this is a great game of football. Regardless of who you support, this is just an amazing game. And I i had I think a lot of people had a very similar moment like that during the game, particularly after Peniel Harder scored the second goal for Chelsea just after the hour. And I, I remember scrolling through my timeline and probably five or six different people were just like this game. Like that was all they tweeted because it was just one of those moments where you're like, holy shit, like this is a really cracking game of football. And it was. It was back and forth. It was technical. It was tactical. You saw the little battles all over the field. There probably should have been two more goals scored, actually, because both Iwabuchi and Guru Wrighton hit the crossbar. The goals that were scored were incredible. There was the contentious goal from Beth Mead. There were like substitutions that changed things. It was just like it was everything that you want football to be, you know. And the fact that it happened in a showpiece stadium like the Emirates, the fact that it happened in front of a huge crowd of people, probably could have been more people, but in front of a really decent crowd of people who were noisy, they were moving, they were vibrant. It was just such a spectacle, you know, like this is what football should be this is what football could be if we really gave it our all you know but in terms of the game itself I thought Arsenal were very mature they were very clever and I shout out to a friend of the pod uh, Tim Stillman who writes for Ars Blog News he wrote a really interesting breakdown about Arsenal's tactics when it came to Chelsea And he identified, well, I mean, the the coaching staff obviously and the players identified that Chelsea in particular really loved to break open the space between the fullbacks and the centre-halves. And so what Arsenal ended up doing and what they had to really fortify when Chelsea started to come at them towards the end of the game was squeezing themselves defensively so that... Chelsea were forced to put long balls into Sam Kerr and she got maybe one or two balls in the air, but with someone as huge as, you know, Jen Beattie and someone as, uh, as fantastic at their job as, uh, as Leah Williamson, it it was pretty difficult for her to be able to do anything. And, you know, Peniel Peniel Harder's goal came from a, a header as well. So, Arsenal themselves, I think, defensively were really, really impressive. And that was something that perhaps they needed to tidy up from last season as well. So overall, I think that they were just, they were excellent and they, they played the game that was in front of them. And that's something that I think they needed to learn.
2: Yeah, Sam, I really enjoyed um, talking about it before we recorded from friend of the pod, Amy Roski, who writes for goal. Um, she was talking about the post-match presses. Emma Hayes um, referred to the three goals that Chelsea conceded as unlike goals we give up. And then Jonas Idevel, like, in his presser, clearly was asked about this, and he said exactly the opposite. He said, the goals we scored, they have some similarities in them, right? I think those are the goals that you can score against Chelsea if they don't choose to be lower in defence. Today, they didn't choose that. That was the opportunity they were giving us to score goals. They don't like to sit low and defend. If they have any weakness, it's that. I think that was pretty clear when you saw the Champions League final against Barcelona when they were forced to defend for long spells of the game. they get into problems identified the weakness. It's, it's fascinating that Emma Hayes thought they were the goals I don't usually concede. And Ardwell's gone, no, this is exactly what you do concede. This is exactly what your weakness is. And they exploited it to perfection. Like The meet and a goal sensational. Poor Jess Carter, as we mentioned. A, a brutal retirement, if ever I've seen one, on the first day of the season. Um, but just the way that Arsenal did, did find ways to get in behind the way that they were able to split the centre backs, it was really, really impressive. And Sam, I liked your word, mature. It was a really mature performance. It wasn't just, "We're Arsenal, we're gonna, you know, create goals and Midamara is gonna bang them in and that sort of thing." They were mature in defence. Leah Williamson, who clearly is almost like Alana Candy in that she loves to get on the ball and pass and do all the pretty things, but where she stood out in this game was getting pretty much getting falconed with a couple of those defensive heading clearances. Like she did the hard stuff, and then. It was making the pragmatic moves in terms of bringing on players like a lot of Woman Moy just to give that extra bit of defensive stability and keeping Steph, you know, when Steph Catley came on, um, she was, you know, getting up high a couple of times. But late on, everyone was doing their bit defensively because I think everyone in that team, and you could tell, not just from the coaches' celebrations, but from all the players, how much it meant to hang on because. Everyone, I think, was expecting them to cough one up late because that's what they did last year. That's what they've kind of got known for doing, not delivering these results when it counted. And sometimes you just have to be pragmatic when push comes to shove late in those games. And that's really what they deserve credit for doing. Giving Chelsea a bit to think about as
0: well. We do need to talk about it. And we were asked on Twitter uh, by Edmund about VAR, Mead's offside goal that was not given offside. We've spoken about it before, so we'll keep it brief. But Edmund asked, should VAR be used in top-level women's club football? Emma Hayes seemed to say yes and that it was a disgrace that women's football doesn't have it. I'm pretty sure she said something along the lines of, it feels like we're second-class citizens because we don't have VAR. I feel like a lot of fans would disagree with her in that regard. So, Angela, how are you feeling about VAR? In in light of what happened
1: in this Arsenal Chelsea game, uh, it sort of feels like the elephant in the room because, like, yeah, what was offside? But I don't, yeah, I don't really have. A, I try to stay in my lane with this stuff because I don't really have strong opinions about things like refereeing or VAR. I just. Hmm. Someone, Sam has an opinion. Let's let's go to Sam. I have I'll opinions have a about this.
3: <laughs> I mean, my, my opinion, <laughs> I think first and foremost, when it comes to this particular game and the way that VAR would have been used is that like, this was actually just a, a, a refereeing error. Like it was a really right. clear offside. And I think before we start talking about VAR, what we need to do is we need to invest more in refereeing education. We need to invest more in making sure that referees are full-time so that they can't actually make clangers like this. Because like, Everyone from us sitting at home to the commentators, like everyone saw that that was offside. And the referee seemed to be the only person in the stadium who didn't. And so that's that's not a problem that VAR can necessarily fix. You know, like we, we need to sort of raise the standard of refereeing across the women's game before we start to lean on technology. Because as we're seeing in the men's game, like it's, yeah, it, it, it does work and it does improve some decision-making, but at what cost? And I feel like the women's game is in a point now where we still need to be building that energy and that um, dynamism and the attention rather than, you know, having three to four minute sort of pauses here or there for a referee to go over to a screen to consult a fourth referee because that just loses the interest and it loses the viewer. So I think we need to think about the priorities of this discussion and and think about it as a game as a whole rather than just being like, yeah, it would have fixed it, but yeah, but, you know other things would have been affected by that too.
2: Agree completely, Sam. It was just a clanger, like just a total, total yep. fuck-up, wasn't it? <laughs> like the refer- the assistant referee, the liner has just had a mare. The- that's-, that's what that one was. Yeah, if you had the VAR, it would have fixed it, but I'm not a VAR fan at all. Um, I don't enjoy it in the men's game. I don't enjoy the pauses it creates. And still, at the end of the day, it comes down to human error. And we see it in the Premier League where, someone gets ruled offside by a finger or a toe or, you know, like we saw in the Olympics, it got used so inconsistently as well. Like, I know that was a clangor and I feel for Emma Hayes and Chelsea in that situation, but it's a clangor, it happened. And honestly, I, I prefer like two days of being like, that was a clangor, it was a bad call, don't rate it, rather than every week we end up talking about the VAR. Like, how many games were there on the weekend? And we talk about one really, really bad decision compared to, I feel like, every game when VAR is involved. If it doesn't have a direct impact on the result, there's hold-ups on celebrations. How, like, the other Beth Mead goal that wasn't um, offside, how pure is that celebration? How pure is the celebration for Viv- Viviana Meadema's goal? And she's not a big celebrator. Like, these are the things that you lose when you have players having to check just, oh... But what if, they, what if they don't confirm it, you know? Like, and I think, Sam, you're right. It, I don't want to see that taken away from the women's game. You, it's, it's rough on Chelsea, but it's the swings and roundabouts thing. These things generally tend to come back around. And on another day, you get the favourable call or you have something go your way. Like, nah. I think that FAWSR is gaining far too much momentum and it's far too exciting. And look at some of the discussions we had even last season about facilities at grounds or camera angles or all those sorts of things. And we even talk about it in the A League here, where I've had coaches express their frustrations when there's not been enough cameras to comprehensively make a good offside call. Back in the liners and the referees, give them the training and support, and let's facilitate them being the best they can be rather than bringing in another set of expenses, another um, person that you've got to pay, plus potentially extra cameras. Nah, let's just do our best to make this the best it can be rather than focusing on the VAR discussion.
1: I was just going to say that um, it, it, this, this sort of discussions make me think a lot about like digitalization in sport and like how that's a big trend. And I've been reading a lot about that stuff for my uni work at this point in time. And there's this thing called like the impact of things like technology things and how that's being used in sport and how we're just adding more and more technology. And there's all these different things that you can use to elevate tech, but I think it's really interesting those discussions are happening usually in the context of men's sport, which is like at a point where it's not necessarily developing to reach a point of professionalization. It's developing to grow further and to make more profit usually. And so when we're looking at things like VAR, you really have to, yeah, consider what Sam was saying about the context in which you're putting these newfangled gadgets in. Women's football is at a completely different place to men's football and these things will have completely different effects and impacts on the the product and the game than the men's game as well. So just going back to what Anna was saying, like the focus should be on building a fantastic game day experience. That's the focus for FawSL or F-A-W-S-L. For Premier League, people are going to show up anyway because it's like the biggest footballing league in the world. So even if the game day experience is impacted a little bit, it's on the margins know what I mean? Hope that was a cohesive point, but just remind me of some stuff I've been I've been reading.
0: Let's have a brief chat about West Ham. Angela, you've I think it's you. You've put a couple of question marks basically just about what, what went down. It was a two 0 loss to Brighton. There was a red card. It was just no bueno.
1: Yeah, I, I went to bed in a bit of a sulk. Um
0: because <laughs> I was
1: like I I could be you know getting my beauty sleep I don't need to look like shit for West Ham you know but then I woke up the next morning and I watched the second half and I think they actually did well given the circumstances it obviously wasn't the sort of result that you want to see first round of the season Harla Sissoko got a red card very early on they were playing with 10 players and it was also really cute because the commentator was very complimentary of Macca, Um, and made note of how she was working in that sweeper keeper role and was doing it really effectively in this game. And I think it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, I, I'm very, um, what's I'm not very forthcoming with the compliments for Mackenzie Arnold, but I think I should let go of that, let go of the past and just say that, yeah, she had, a pretty decent game and made some really good saves. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, just something to build on and to add to that project that she started at West Ham um, to, yeah, become a, a first class keeper. So, yeah, it wasn't terrible, but uh, just uh, the pain never ends, does it? Anyway, <laughs> that's my summary of the game and very keen to see Meeks get out there i think that was the the case across the board we all sort of wanted to see players in various games but then just not quite there yet but yeah
0: so those were all the games that included aussies but we'll give just a quick wrap-up of the actual rounds results we started off with man united beating reading 2-0 aston villa beat newcomers leicester 2-1 sam you had
3: something to say about was it villa and leicester I did have something to say about Villa Leicester. It was an absolutely cracking game and sort of in the middle of the week, it was news that sort of slipped under a lot of people's radars, but Emily Gilnick signed for Aston Villa, which is really exciting. She wasn't able to play in this particular game, but never fear don't worry because there was basically another Emily Gilnick who uh, played for Leicester whose name is uh, Natasha Flint and she's basically a tall forward with a leg sleeve of tattoos so she's effectively like the English version of Emily Gilnick and I'm all about her she had an absolutely cracking game and she made the team of the week for the for the league so just keep an eye on her plays for Leicester tall forwards it's extremely my jam back to you Marissa Thank you for Sam's tap
0: corner. Um, but no, so as we mentioned, Gilnick didn't get to play in that game because she's just finishing off a little bit of quarantine. So hopefully we'll get to see her next round. Uh, obviously, Man City then beat Everton 4-0. Tottenham got up 1-0 over Birmingham. No Kaya Simon because of visa issues. And that was the same reason we didn't see Tamika Yollop in West Thames 2-0 loss to Brighton. And then obviously Arsenal beat Chelsea 3-2. So... Lots of fun results. Hopefully they continue this fun thing for the rest of the season because it makes our jobs a lot easier. One last question to kind of round off our chat came from Tim on Twitter. And so he asked about um, the crowds. This was the first time in about 18 months that crowds had been allowed back at WSL games specifically. So he asked, with UK crowds allowed back now, will the FAWL be able to pull them in as expected or has the buzz created by the last World Cup been ruined by COVID? And he gave us all the crowd figures from this round. It was about an average of 4,000 per game. But to answer Tim's question, what do we think? Has COVID kind of stopped some momentum or is this a chance for new momentum to be built almost?
3: I feel like it's a little bit too early to say and I also feel like putting crowds down to COVID is a bit too simplistic. Um, We saw, for example, if we contrast these crowd numbers with the massive, massive crowds we saw in those big standalone fixtures last season and even other, you know, big women's uh, clashes around the world, like Atletico Barca, for example, they were crowd figures that were the result of really uh, dedicated marketing campaigns from clubs and from leagues and from federations even. So you know, the, like COVID obviously has had an impact in some way. There would probably still be some people who are a little bit um, hesitant about going into big crowds like this because of, of concerns around you know, the Delta strain, things like that. There will probably also be some people who stayed at home because now that the FAWSL is so accessible on television, on both the BBC and on Sky, there are probably some people who would have preferred just to watch from home. But in combination with that, like I didn't see a huge amount of marketing for some of these games from the clubs in the same way that I saw them for those really big sort of um, top draw standalone ones where they were obviously deliberately trying to get as many people into those stadiums as possible. And so maybe it's a sort of a combination of all these different things where if the clubs really did want to see attendances rise, they would try a little bit harder to do what they do every week for the men's games. You know, they would push out so much more stuff on social media. They would do lots of other kinds of campaigns and advertise in different kinds of ways and different kinds of mediums. And maybe after a a more concerted effort and a longer effort over time, we'll start to actually see those numbers rise. But I think at the moment, it's a little bit too soon to say. Cough,
1: dub, clubs. But I also have a question on that. Like, Are crowds a priority for these clubs if broadcasting is going to be more lucrative? form of income for them moving forward i i'm not sure i'm not oh
2: anna i have have a thought on that is that um for broadcasters it's always a more attractive product if you've got crowds in the stands making noise and um the game looks full and it looks like somewhere people want to be um you always it's like when you you watch w league games and there might be five thousand people but they're not crammed in it's it's pre-covid obviously they're in a 60K stadium, thinking of a W League grand final from a few years back where it was 6K, but it was a massive behemoth of a stadium. So it looked like there was no one there. I think as much as you want eyeballs on screens, the product is always going to be more desirable. I think COVID has shown this. The product is more desirable live, but also if you're watching on TV, if there's a crowd there. So I think it's that fine balance you most certainly want. Not everyone is going to be able to go to games, but you certainly want to be getting crowds there. Um, because that's part of the appeal. It brings the atmosphere. It looks better. It sounds better. um, And overall, it adds to the worth of the the product if people care. So I think you still do want to make games as accessible as possible for crowds because it goes both ways.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily, I don't know if this was intended, but the way that I sort of read the question, no. No, I read the question completely wrong. I went off in my own direction. I was thinking about whether, um, I think maybe I saw this elsewhere on Twitter and that's what I'm thinking of. Will crowds, like will the broadcast deal affect people actually making a choice between staying home to watch the game or going to the game? And I think those things are two different kind of experiences. So not entirely sure if that would have much of an impact like, immediately what came to mind is you'd see the more casual fan or maybe someone you know um who might not necessarily be a fan of Arsenal tuning in to watch it when they otherwise wouldn't have and that sort of thing so I'm not entirely sure how these sorts of things work um in like there's surely been some research into this um but perhaps less so focused on women's football but um I think yeah making the game day experience as positive and as exciting as possible is just like works in everyone's favor after what Anna just confirmed for me so yes don't know if anyone asked me if that's what they wanted my opinion on but there you go
0: this is your podcast you can offer up whatever bloody opinion you want actually this is this is the platform you have
1: also, I just um, I wanted to say, using my reach and my power, if you go to FAWSL games and you get a snack, can you please share what snack you get? Uh, I'm very interested in what the food's like in the FAWSL.
0: That's the most new question you've ever asked. That's so funny. I know um,
1: that some of the folks at Beyond 90 also feel the same way. They're very invested in knowing what grub is at the... No, that doesn't work. Fawcett. Awesome. morsels at the forsel tell us about them yeah
0: there you go she's got it she's got it uh please english friends or anyone really that uh listens to us that gets to go to fawsl games please let us know um but yes that was the fawsl we've got uh some friendlies coming up just to kind of sidetrack it we've got the matilda's playing ireland on september 22nd at 4 a.m eastern which is delicious can't wait to wake up in the middle of the night but should be really interesting to see kind of what's next for Tony Gustafson and the Matildas now post-Olympics and seeing what we get there so obviously we will be chatting about that as it gets closer to it and after the game but let's get into some more regular scheduled programming let's do a boot Harrow you had a boot from this uh, weekend of games
2: yeah just a short and sharp boot um Girls on the ball who do some great coverage of the women's game in the UK. Um, had a fantastic photo of Beth Needs celebrating um, after, I think it was her first goal with the, are you not entertained caption? Fantastic photos. You know, you can see the fans sort of in the background. we will retweet it. You see the fans in the background. She's facing her arms out. And you've got some poor Chelsea players who's just face first in the dirt, just looking a bit sad and sorry. Fantastic photo, deservedly got, retweeted shared beth Mead loved it and she went on their instagram and said i'm pinching this one and posted it the flip side of it is we've seen since then plenty of people sharing this photo and it's notably been men verified uh, maybe soccer followers on twitter who've taken this photo but they've cropped the bottom out and therefore cropped out the the girls on the ball watermark um, friend of the pod susie racks called this out and a few others have don't do it. Like if you're gonna share a great photo and talk about how great it is, especially to try and get some clout and retweets and that sort of thing, keep the watermark or give if you or keep some credit for the people that took it. Like these people, a lot of them whom originally started, certainly not when they started, weren't getting paid and have done it for passion and love. And I'm not sure if they're getting paid now, but certainly there is that passion for the game. They've taken a brilliant photo, it's been widely shared. The players love their work WOSO fans love their work it is literally not too much to ask not to take the extra effort to crop out their watermark or acknowledgement of who took the photo so yeah people be better give people the credit they deserve don't be a dog and take away their (laughs) their own watermarking a boot for
3: that I feel like like people be better is the subtext of every single boot that we've ever done. It's just like be better, you know, come on. It's not that
0: hard to be better.
2: There's always a little tone of positivity in it, Sam.
0: Anyway, let's move on to some how goods. Uh, Angela, would you like to start with how good? Um,
1: How good? Yes, um, my how good, very on brand for this episode, except maybe if anyone wants a cat, hit me up. Sam Kerr telling people to get jabbed and to adopt a cat. You love to see it. Um, no, the wrong segment. How good I meant. How good. <laughs> uh, got too excited. Um, so she said this in an interview, um, post-match interview with Optus Sport. Um, we'll we'll give it a share. But yeah, the direct quote is: "Get yourself a cat. Get vaccinated. And let's go." And this was in the context of, I guess, sharing her thoughts um, for those of us back in Australia who are still in. Fucking lucky D. Anyway, but yes, get a cat. I endorse this message. I've been trying to push to get a second cat here, actually. But, um, yeah, maybe I'll just need to deal with the issues I'm having with the first one first.
2: And get jabbed. All of us here on the Far Post have had at least one. Get on with it.
0: But, yes, li- listen to your captain. Get get a cat, get a jab, and let's do this thing. Um, Harrow, <laughs> uh, how good from you?
2: How good is related to this, um, because we've got such great high vaccination rates in the UK, we're seeing crowds back in stadiums like last season, we didn't really get crowds they are sort of sporadic, I think a couple of times. And if they're only small, now we're getting big crowds averaging in the thousands. Um, I mentioned that I spoke to Alana Kennedy last week and she was really buzzing for this season because last season didn't really get to experience that. She was really excited for the prospect of actually properly playing in front of crowds, playing big games in front of crowds, walking out at both the bigger stadiums and the smaller ones and getting that real English football feel to it. Um, I think the most exciting one was probably that Arsenal-Chelsea game where you could hear it, like the the whistling when those last – Two minutes of injury time were coming through. There was one point where Chelsea tried to steal a couple of extra meters on a free kick, and <laughs> the Arsenal just like rained down <laughs> abuse at the field until it got um until it got pushed back a couple of meters. It was well not abuse; they just rained down like yelling and screaming and no, you know until it got sorted. So it's just great to have those little things back in football. We just talked about it before. The women's game game is growing and growing and growing and. Um, Especially after seeing the Olympics, like effectively behind closed doors. It's just great to see these athletes get to really struck their stuff in front of the crowds they deserve. And you'd have to think they're only going to get bigger and bigger and it's going to get more exciting. How good?
0: So good, and I think it also is relevant to the, the Beth Mead photo. Part of what makes that so incredible is just the full stands behind her and there were heaps of great photos from that game. And it, Part of it is the fact that it was in front of a packed house and they offered up such a great background. So how good indeed, Sam.
3: How good from you? Sticking with Harrow's theme of uh, seeing great things returning, we have seen the return of one Tanya Stoby whose Bristol City was relegated at the end of last season. She was released by the club. We didn't know what she was doing, what she was planning, particularly after she gave birth to her beautiful child. But she has recently been announced as the assistant to Emma Hayes at Chelsea, which is just the most Amazing possible career move that you could have made, right? From literally from the bottom all the way to the top to the big dogs. So she wasn't on the on the bench alongside um, Emma Hayes and the rest of the coaching staff against Arsenal, but she should be uh, brought back into the fold, brought into the fold rather quite soon. So really cool to see an Aussie still um, representing us in terms of the sort of the coaching level of the FA WSL now at Chelsea now surrounded by some of the best and brightest in the game so good on good on tanya and uh yeah how good so very good
0: congrats to tanya on that move but that's enough out of us for today thank you so much for tuning in remember we're on espn.com.au and the espn app you can find us on spotify google and apple and wherever you get podcasts really Wherever you do listen to us, make sure you subscribe so everything gets straight into your feed and you can listen to us on your daily state mandated walk for those of you in lockdown or just in pure freedom for those of you not in lockdown. Um, But we're at The Far Post Pod on all social media. Thank you to everyone who has sent in a question. We're going to keep that open a little bit longer, but that episode will be coming to you shortly. But until next week, see you.